You're listening to the Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Before listening to today's episode of the Outspoken Bible, we wanted to make you aware that the subject matter, suffering, might be distressing or difficult for some listeners. Please take care of yourself and be alert to your responses as we talk. A good starting point for helping you to do this is the Beyond Disaster resource that we mention in the episode. This free-to-download Bible-based resource is written to help people bring their emotions to God in times of crisis, and you can find it at scottish.bible. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of The Outspoken Bible. Uh, I'm Fiona Stewart, I'm here with Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Hi. I felt I made a conscious effort to brush my hair before we came on <laughs> to the uh, the link today after last last episode's shenanigans. <laughs> You're both looking well. Thank today you. we're moving into a new three episode series linked to some resources that are available from Scottish Bible Society. So to give a bit of background to that before we speak, um, over the last few years, Pearl Liddle from SBS has been working with the Trauma Healing Institute in the States to train folks in Scotland to facilitate a biblical trauma healing course. And that course has been used globally. It's been used with people from all different situations and contexts. And you can find out more about that, obviously, uh, on the SBS website. But as part of that, there's a set of resources, uh, again, available from Scottish Bible Society. That's on scottish.bible called Beyond Disaster. Now, you can download a booklet there. Do be aware that it's about 76 pages long. So I think Jen and I both this morning tried to print it and then realised we were going to break our printers. But uh, yeah, the Beyond Disaster resource is available. You can download that. And we thought it'd be good to, to discuss some of the topics that that resource covers. So we're going to talk today about the why of suffering. Next time we'll talk about the how of suffering. And then finally, we'll come to the importance of lament. I think there's a significance in the timing of all of this. And a bit, I guess a bit like the other mini series that we've done before, we wanted these conversations to be helpful to people who might be going through some uh, traumatic or grief or loss-filled situations at the moment. So if you are a regular listener and, and you know of someone who doesn't listen to this, but is perhaps going through a particularly difficult time at the moment, you might want to point them in the direction of these three episodes. You can find the link to do that, obviously, through your player. So before we pick that discussion up, we have time for... Glover's Off. Glover's Off is quite an easy one this week. It's uh, going to be about knees uh, because mm. uh, yesterday I had a knee operation. Uh, and in fact, I sent you both pictures, which uh, yep. I think yep. you said my knees looked like, uh, the inside of my knees looked like a couple of scallops. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> uh, you were okay. Jen, you love these things, don't you? These pictures? Yeah. Well, I used to be a nurse, so it's quite fascinating. Yeah. As long as you don't cut your knee, cut a leg off, that, that's going too far, but <laughs> images of inside your knee is fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. It just it makes me feel things in my knees, though. That's right. my point. Anybody shows along. me anything, I then feel it in the body parts. It's a bit weird. So, so I had some cartilage removed, um, which has been affecting me running for, well, 18 months now. So I'm really looking forward to be able to run without pain. Um, but it was interesting. The, the surgeon uh, recorded him going in there on his little keyhole camera and then came to show me on his, on his uh, iPhone afterwards. It, I've had surgery twice now in the last uh, two years. Um, and both times, surgeons have, 
appeared proudly at the end of the procedure with their phones going, look, look, this is what I did. This is what I did. And that's what happened <laughs> yesterday. And it was interesting. As a surgeon, as he went around my knee, he, he couldn't help but comment on it. You know, as, as someone was, you know, an art critic would know the vocabulary of art. He knew what to expect in my bones. He's, oh, this little bit here is a bit thicker than normal. That's your inflammation. But we're just going to come around this corner here. And I'm going to show you where all the trouble's been. And he showed me this bit of cartilage. He knew his knees. He certainly knew his knees. And it got me thinking about, about knees, uh, knees in the world and knees in the scripture. Knees are, knees are really, really important. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're writing or we're talking in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, um, which happened when, a, when he was murdered. I mean, the, the verdict is now through mm. by a police officer. Um, I want to make sure I've got the name right. It's Derek Chauvin, I think. And um, famously or notoriously, um, he was knelt on uh, for I think was it nine minutes I think so. with a horrendous cry I can't breathe and was was killed and that was about an exercise of power and the knee was symbol- seen as symbolic mm. of that of the power of it was a visual image of systemic racism uh, many people thought in the exhibition of power and of course it contrasts with uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, the quarterback who took a knee in protest against um, what he saw as some elements of the American history, which he felt had to be addressed and owned alongside um he wouldn't allow an uncritical celebration of all that is America. He said the, the pain of America had to be absorbed and dealt and faced with as well as, as its triumphs. And it, it got me thinking that, that knees are about power. It's in the case of the murder of George Floyd, it was a power exercised over him by someone else. In the case of Colin Kaepernick, it was him about uh, a lowering of power below something else. And then losing my knee and it being sore, I've been conscious of how I've had less power to run. Running is a big part of my identity. I haven't been able to do it for uh, 18 months. It's been this loss. And I suppose what I'm hoping for is a restoration of power. The In the Bible, knees are all about power. Uh, they are about, uh, from Isaiah, where he says, Isaiah 35, um, that uh, strengthen your weak knees. Or the probably the most famous kneelers in, in the whole of Scripture, although it doesn't actually use the word, but I would say it would be the wise men in the Christmas story, uh, where, where they kneel and they acknowledge another power. Knees are a reminder of power, a power to move, a power to exert over someone else, but I think it's fair to say in Scripture they are at their best when they are knelt before God because the word for blessing, to receive power, Baruch in the Old Testament, is also the word for the knee. That is very interesting, very interesting. Are you just saying so, that because you no, know you have that, to say that? Or No, yeah, I always find what you say interesting. No, but I, I, just I, because, I was about to say something about genuflecting. Oh, that's right, where yeah, I was yeah. going with that. But it was just, I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of insincerity, but you looked so stressed getting your cables. I wasn't sure if you were listening or not. <laughs> I was listening. I, I can multitask. I can multitask and I was just bending with my knees to get my cable. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, was an, that was an unnecessary link just to prove you were listening. <laughs> But I, lo- I actually really like when when we take something like that. You, you know, you can read 
read things and not really think about them. But when you start looking for references mm. to knees or you start yeah. thinking about the, even actually the taking the knee and the, the fact that the knee was in, involved in, in that terrible, yeah. terrible thing that happened. It, you know, I actually had not actually, I'd never made that connection before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet and that, really that surgeon uh, who was with me yesterday, you know, his whole life is dedicated to knees. He, he just thinks mm-hmm. about knees all the time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and it makes sense of also what you said before makes sense of why people find it so offensive when people take the knee. Mm. Mm. So I think that's really interesting because a gesture that is a humble gesture yeah. really, really can be offensive to, to those who would want to do so. Yeah. Thank you, Neil. That was very interesting. <laughs> you referred to the word loss there, mm. which I think is a is quite a neat segue in. Mm. So you talked about a little bit of loss of your identity. Yeah. During the last few months, when mm. you've not been able to eighteen months, did you say yeah. you've not been able to run? Yeah. See, I was listening, um, and I think that that leads us quite nicely into what we're we're going to talk about today. So, yeah. I I think it would be good when we when we use why in connection with suffering, we could very easily get into a discussion about why God allows suffering to happen. We we can do that if we want to, but there are lots of discussions out there about that, about the the theoretical understanding of that and the the, the sort of academic understanding of that. But I would like us also to, to delve into why we feel the way we feel. The question of why does God allow me to suffer like this? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Surely if I'm somebody who who follows the Lord and yet when something happens to me, what, why do I feel this, this sadness, this loss, this grief? Should I just quell that down and, and put on a happy face? You, I, I would like us to delve a little bit deeper, is what mm. I'm saying. So how are we getting on? What have we been thinking about? I suppose the first thing that comes to my mind, Fiona, is your use of the word allow. As if the normal state of life was to be happy, content, uh, peaceful, lacking in suffering. And I don't think when we read the Bible... That's what comes across. It's more that suffering just is, and I'm I'm not dodging the issue, but mm. I'm not sure that... So the use of the word allow sounds as if God wants us to be one thing, but then sometimes he lets these bad things happen. But actually, yes. life is... life. We are human, and just like Neil and his knee conversation, we have weaknesses and... Yes from internal things or external things, things that happen to us. And, you know, the passages we've been reading today um, in preparation, you know, the psalmist and in lamentations, it's it's more an assumption of this is is it, you know, this is how life is often. And in those circumstances, what will we do? Now, I know we're not talking about that this week. So I wonder if our language about suffering doesn't help because, because we see it as something it's so hard it's something that shouldn't happen but it does happen whereas mm-hmm. this is this is the way life is and and maybe that perspective it might not make any difference to us coping with our suffering but um i think it, it makes it more normal and, and it is the way we are as humans and because if you're a person of faith that doesn't make any difference either you know we, we life will be full of um times that are just really hard to deal with mm. yeah and no, it's about one of the aspects of it is thinking: Is it is it normal? Is it only me? Because we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, frequently, um, you know, you you witness people or you walk with people, uh, for example, experiencing miscarriage, which is one of the most horrendous senses of loss that people ever articulate. And and people say nobody talks about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or people who have experienced abuse, once again, 
nobody they will say talks yeah. about this you know mm-hmm. as if that that doesn't happen so there is something here where the the conversation it's not so much public as as just it gets acknowledged in the two passages that we're we're going to be yeah. focusing on today I recently heard someone speak about a loss. It was in the context of COVID, actually, but they they generalized it and said, from the moment we leave our mother's womb and scream because we have lost that environment, the experience of suffering and loss is innate to what it is to be human. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me. And answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said... Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee afar away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshippers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. One of the things that struck me about Psalm 55 was it was that honesty. Now, mm. now slightly different to what you've just said, Neil, 
in the not not about naming specific situations, but the the honesty of bringing everything before God. Mm. And and I wonder if we perhaps tied Jen to what you talked about uh, the idea that somehow things shouldn't bad things shouldn't mm. happen to us that links us to then think well therefore I ought to not talk about it and I ought to not complain about it. I ought to yeah. Uh, yeah I wonder if there's a link there with that but I was I was struck by that with Psalm 55 actually he doesn't hold back no Ellen Davis who's a, a biblical scholar says that the Psalms teach us uh, if if prayer is about communication, then the Psalms teach us about full disclosure before God, mm. and this is this is an act of of full disclosure. The the other thing I'd I'd note in it, and somebody else was talking about this once again in, in talking about COVID that I was with this week, was saying they'd been in a a, a listening exercise where people had said, "What lessons have we learned over the last eighteen months?" And I'm sure we've been in lots of conversations like that. What are the lessons that we've learned? And her complaint was that was too much in the head. The minute you use that phrase, what have we learned? It it becomes about our thinking. Whereas for her, and she thought for many people, what had really happened was in our gut and in Uh in our bodies and that we'd felt it. And therefore, Mm -hmm. we had to have a conversation about a much more holistic reaction. And what Mm -hmm. strikes me here is that this is the psalmist giving the whole of themselves to God. My heart is in anguish. Fear and tremble and come upon the whole of me, and I would flee mm-hmm. far away. Um, it's a it's a very very bodily experience of of being mm-hmm. in pain. Yes, and I think that comment you made Neil about COVID and the bodily experience. I mean, I still maybe increasing actually maybe more now in the last week or so. I still have that some days when I just feel out of sorts, mm-hmm. and and I think it's actually because we're going through another transition phase. I think when Mm. everybody's different everybody's Mm. different but when we're stuck in lockdown there are things we have to deal with but we're all stuck in that place and we're all having to deal with it and we're supporting each other hopefully um but then when we come to these transition phases where we don't really know what the the future is and uh you know you're surrounded by people saying oh i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and you're like oh i don't know what i should do or what i shouldn't do and 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 i found those times very um, a, a whole body thing and I've mm. had to stop and think you know, why am I feeling like this yes. and it's because uh, we're going through yet again something that we haven't maybe experienced before and the, and the easy thing is to just join in with the oh it's so exciting I can go to Gatehouse which I did last week because we were allowed to go and that and that was lovely but that that isn't the whole story and yes. I suppose that is the same as the psalmist and, and the lamentations writer that it, we need to talk about all the stuff. And I actually jotted down exactly what we've been talking about when I was reading these passages that we, we don't have these conversations in our church families or in, or in any context. You know, And I don't think every time someone says this, how are you doing? You're going to launch into, oh, it's awful. But sometimes we need to. Sometimes we need to say, this is, I, I don't feel great today. Mm-hmm. And this is why. And, and, mm-hmm. the, and the whole push in... Uh, for for mental health because we all have mental health you know whether it's good or whether it's not so good at the moment is to encourage those kind of conversations and I think we see that in the Psalms which isn't surprising because uh, this comes from the Bible where, where God shows us what it is to live as a human in this world um, and part of that is we need to have these conversations about the difficult times and back to what you'd said Neil about miscarriage I would say that when I had a miscarriage Alan my husband Alan and I both would say that that suddenly people so many people said to us 
oh yes, us too. Mm. But we'd never heard that said. Mm-hmm. So being a young couple who and I was pregnant, we 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 didn't have that expectation that you know, not that you want to live in oh this this is probably gonna happen, but it's like quite it's one in three uh, pregnancies end in miscarriage. So it is quite a high probability. Mm. But no, none of these many friends of us who then told us, oh, yes, us too. We hadn't had that conversation with them when it happened to them, which seems sad for them. And also for us that, you know, mm-hmm. we hadn't thought about it before it happened. And there was a wee bit in Lamentations which says, it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. It seemed a bit, let him sit alone in silence for the Lord has laid it on him. And I wonder, that made me think about that how we prepare each other for this normality of suffering? Or do we set ourselves up to be disappointed? I'm sure we've all heard people say to us, oh, well, this has happened. I just don't know if God's there. And and we felt that ourselves. But I Mm -hmm. wonder if that sometimes comes because we haven't had that chance to sit quietly and think about, yeah, suffering is everywhere. Even though it hasn't happened to me, I can see it elsewhere. So I need to ask these questions of God. So that, yeah, being talking about it even when our lives are going okay being aware of it is important yeah and, and I think there's a number of things in there Jen because as you were speaking about talking about it I think also there's a step before that which is noticing it yeah noticing in ourselves yes. you know mm-hmm. so when you're talking about feeling out of sorts or transition periods or or recognizing loss which can be in objective terms can be big or small because it's not about the the size of the loss it's about how it impacts you isn't it mm-hmm. And I think there is something about paying attention to to our our physical reactions, linking to what you talked about, Neil, and, and and being again coming back to my point about being honest before God. That that that's that's the thing that jumps out at me from Psalm fifty five is is laying that all before God because it's not going to surprise him or shock him or he's not he's not going to have not noticed what's <laughs> going on. Yeah, one of, mm. one of the most powerful forms of prayer that I I engage in when. Uh, I'm feeling really sore is uh, called welcoming the welcoming prayer. You can find this online um, and there are also meditations. You can get apps that take you through it. And the, the, it has three phases. Um, And the first one is to simply notice in your body where the pain is. For me, it's often in my stomach, but it can be in different parts of my stomach or maybe higher up on my chest if I'm if I'm really bothered about something, and just to notice that, to pay attention to that, and then the second phase, this is where the the the, the prayer name gets its name from, it is to welcome the pain. Now that's not to welcome the source of the pain. It's not mm-hmm. to say that say I've been in an experience where I've been bullied. It's not to welcome the bullying, but it's to mm-hmm. welcome the pain that tells me I'm being bullied, mm-hmm. or um, if I'm. If I'm in an experience of stress, it's not to welcome maybe what the stress is, but to welcome the fact that I am at last pausing to notice that I, that, that yes. is there and to tell them that this is my teacher. Similarly, the depression, some people have written, and this is not the case for all depression, but some that Parker Palmer says this quite remarkably in his book, um, Let Your Life Speak. He said he'd had a prolonged period of, of depression. And at the end of it, he recognised that for him, in his particular context, the depression was in some senses his friend because it was mm. telling him something that, mm-hmm. that he needed to pay attention to. Um, I, I don't want to generalise across all depression, no, but no. just to say that was his experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It is to notice and to welcome the pain that it is telling me something. And then to say, I give up. And that's a bit where the kneel thing comes up. Kneeling is about a loss of power. And the third phase of the welcome prayer is in the presence of God to say, I give up the need to be in control. I give up the need to have answers. I give up the need for security. Mm-hmm. And I am here in the mm. presence of God. And those three phases allow us to encounter the loss, the suffering that we go. And I would argue that the, these two passages using words are about naming that pain. Mm-hmm. And one of one of them is in Psalm 55 is about the loss of a friend. It's a very, very mm-hmm. human pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet it's excruciating mm-hmm. to go through mm-hmm. that loss. All of us will have experiences. I mean, this happens all the time in the church where we'll have fallen out with somebody and you'll spend days thinking about that particular relationship that you've gone out. Here it is in Psalm 55. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there's another thing as well here is that there's quite a lot of research that shows that the Psalms were how Jewish people learned to pray. If you went to a rabbi and said, how do I pray? You were shown mm. the Psalms. This is how yeah. you pray. And one of the things you pray about is this full disclosure about loss before God. Mm. Mm. I wonder as well if we can just touch on that that idea of listening to one another and, and being heard and the importance of that. I watched Nomadland last night, which mm. is the Oscar-winning film um, about people who, who have gone through significant loss, actually. So the the woman who's at the centre of the story, her whole town has has stopped existing because the the plant that all the all the local people worked in closes down and so therefore there's no reason to live in this town anymore and she takes off and, and lives in a van and and joins with lots of other people who are similarly um dispossessed and and going through loss one of the things that was struck by it, it doesn't it doesn't there, there are aspects of it that that from a biblical point of view i thought oh I, I just feel it doesn't quite give me the hope that that I'm looking for. But one of the things I found profoundly um, moving in it was how they listened to one of their stories, mm. whether that was sort of sitting around campfire and sharing, this is what happened to me. This is, this is my experience yeah. or whether it was in the one-to-one actually that was going on as well. And there were, there was a, there were a lot of moments of silence and a lot of moments of just allowing people to sit in their pain, to share their pain and not rush to answers. And maybe because I've been writing this material on Job I've been quite alert to that. <laughs> the number of times we, we rush to have answers yeah. when actually it's just important to listen mm-hmm. and to, to allow people to speak their pain, isn't it? Yes, I was thinking about that as well in the context of church, family, in all ages together. Now, we, we, Historically, we've talked about the importance of testimony. The problem with that word is it sometimes takes us to a perspective of story that is merely about how we came to faith when as testimony mm-hmm. is story. And so there is there's an importance, I think, in this aspect in this view of suffering that we tell our stories in an all-age setting with children and young people and older people together. Not that not that we burden our children with our stories of suffering. I'm not meaning that at all. But as our children grow and as we all grow through the different ages, we need to hear each other's stories. And, and it just goes back to where we started this normalising of suffering. I mean, I've, no, I've known parents of my generation, I remember when their children were small, would um, skip over bits of Disney films that had suffering in them. But it's it's in story 
Yeah. That we learn to know that this is part of life. And interesting, Neil, I was looking up your welcoming prayer that you referred to there. And one mm. of the websites I found it said, you need to start practicing the welcoming prayer in, in small, what would be seemingly small frustrations, like, you know, stuck at a traffic lights or in a queue at the grocery store and, 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 and don't take those, those feelings in your body to God. And it, I suppose it's kind of the same with why we tell stories in a church family context because it's a preparation. Now, don't get me wrong, because some children I know have suffered far, far more in their short lives mm. than I've suffered in my much longer life. And so some children know very well that suffering is a, no a normal part of their life. But for, yeah. for many children, that isn't the case. And, and that practicing listening to story and, and older people hearing younger people's story, because sometimes I think... As adults, we struggle to understand how children see a difficult situation or the suffering they go through. And we, and I mean, I sat in my church one Sunday morning pre-COVID and had the privilege of listening to a group of eight-year-olds as they talked about what it was like to be someone that followed Jesus in school just now. And I, I hadn't set that up; it just came up. But to hear their stories of what they found difficult about that, um, we need to create these spaces where that can happen. Mm. Jen, you have great conversations with young people. I mean, I know that's a statement of the obvious, but... She's I, really good at it. Yeah, I just... Well, it's one, really good at it. And I mean, I guess you can't... It's one of the things I've really I've really missed. God. No, I wonder if it's like telling stories. You know, you know, if you want to write stories, you have to actually have a notebook and just keep writing them till one, till they emerge. And it's it's not like the first time you ever spoke with these young people, that's what they all spoke about, but the speaking with young people listening to their voice is a continual theme and pattern in your life so therefore you are one day going to have the day when you have that conversation where suddenly mm -hmm. it's not it's not to say all the other conversations are trivial but it sounds like in that conversation the conversation went to a new level that it hadn't been to before yes and and, and it wasn't it wasn't it was a cafe church setting, so all ages were present, and we we just had a bit of the Bible at each table we were at. I just happened to have a number of younger people at my table, <laughs> um, so we were all talking as a intergenerational church family about a particular bit of the Bible. And there's a book I want to reference, Fiona, but I need to look it up. That's fine. I can talk this... about Bethlehem while you're doing because <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before, but but I I think that strongly about the, the use of story. So Bruno Bettelheim's book, um, the use of uses of enchantment, is about how fairy stories are are really important for people because the stories we tell our younger people that reassure them that although bad things will happen, there will be an outcome. There'll be a happy ending. There will be there will be resolution. That you know the the, mm. the good will emerge good. And that's I'm obviously oversimplifying what he talks about, <laughs> but but I think it is really important. It's really important not to to paper over the yeah. nasty bits, because actually when children play that stuff out through story through play, that's a really important formative thing is is, is happening there. And actually, yeah. I think we lose that as adults sometimes. Yeah. And a few a few podcasts ago, we were talking about um, how to tell the difficult part of the Easter story with children. Yeah. Mm. And I had this brilliant moment after that. So we had a Good Friday uh, messy church, which we did within COVID regulations. And we were all sitting in our wee zones in the hall and we, t we, t we shared the story of Jesus' death. And then one of the dads sent me a picture of his children later on that day out in the garden. And we'd made wooden crosses at messy mm -hmm. church. So they there were three children and parents, so they'd all made a wooden crosses. So the children had stuck the wooden crosses in the in the grass, and then tied all the cuddly toys to the crosses. 
and he sent me this picture. And part, I mean, it was it was quite amusing. But the children in play, yes, were were dealing with that story. Yes. And I said to him about, I said, "Oh my goodness, crucifixion all round." But then we also, I, ho- I hope that the storytelling went on to tell the resurrection. Yes. But we look at that as adults and think, "Oh, you know, slightly." But that that's how children. That's how children live. They play yes. and, and they tell out their story, whether that's a story from the Bible, as these children were doing, or the story of their lives. So yes. play is really important. There's a whole thing about joining in and watching how our children play and what they're playing about. Absolutely. And, and this thing about stories, so it's the book I want to recommend yeah. if you're involved in youth ministry and you know, if you think you're not involved with youth ministry, if you listen to the title, you know you should read it. So it's by Andy Root again. I'm, I've mentioned Andy Root many times. Um, it's called The End of Youth Ministry. And the subtitle is Why Parents Don't Really Care About Youth Groups and What Youth Workers Should Do About It. And in this book, he he looks at the the theology and the progress of youth ministry. And then interwoven is a, every second chapter is a fictional youth youth worker story Mm -hmm. and how she struggled as a youth worker because of the pressure on her to entertain, in inverted commas. And then a terrible tragedy happened in the group and it completely shifted the youth ministry and the whole church ministry. And what became important in their little church was getting together to tell their stories. And it was triggered by one girl's uh, serious illness that she went through. And it's really worth the read. There's there's quite a lot in it. But even Mm -hmm. if you just read the story of the youth ministry that actually, but the story became important and and as they told each other stories, and read God's story in the Bible, they grew together uh, closer to God. It's it's a good book. Can I can I pick up on that? Because I think that's that tunes a lot with what's going on here. This is I slightly dreaded this one because it was about the why question of suffering. Oh, for goodness mm-hmm. sake, you know, it's just mm-hmm. it, it's just like, you know, we can go through this one again. You know, the classic frame of how do you equate suffering or how do you account for suffering? It's got a name for it in theology. It's called theodicy. And it normally tries to navigate around this challenge that was posed by, amongst others, the, the philosopher David Hume, the Scottish philosopher David Hume. You can see his statue in Edinburgh. People rub his toes. They walk past it on the Royal Mile. Mm. And he said, there are two propositions about God. God is all-powerful and God is all-love. And if there is suffering, both of those can't be true. Mm-hmm. because he, if he was all-powerful, then he would intervene to stop the suffering, or if he was all-loving, then he wouldn't want the suffering to happen in the first place. So therefore, you either got to have a God who's who loves but isn't powerful enough to stop it, or a God who is powerful but doesn't love enough to stop it. And and that was Hume's challenge. And people have engaged with that in, in different ways. Um, the classic response, for example, is around free will, uh, to say that God created a world of of love and for love there had to be free will and therefore he god had to allow human agency within the world and that means that you will have suffering like violence but that doesn't account for all suffering it doesn't account for disease mm. doesn't account so yeah. then you've got yeah. um other accounts which say well we're in the best of all possible worlds you know you need a world with earthquakes otherwise you're not going to have mountains you need a you need a world with with bacteria because we need them to live but even then, you know, someone like David Attenborough will say, well, there's this parasite in um, in Africa and its one job is to burrow into children's eyes. So what, why do you actually need that? How's that the best of all possible worlds? 
I I think the why question in the Bible, if we're being honest, takes us does take us to one answer. There there are a number of um, responses in there to the why question. One is that it's just the pattern of being human. One that appears in the scripture is um, that suffering is is just an essential mystery around along the the essential mystery of life. So that's what happens in, in Job. That to the mystery of suffering, God brings the mystery of life. I'm going to come back to Job in a minute. Um, another response is that that suffering is the inevitable consequence of struggle against dark powers. Uh, and uh, Paul says that we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Another. Um, reason that is given is that this is an essential part of growth. So Jesus talks about pruning the vine in order that the fruit may come. And for Paul, the the great paradigm of his life is that in a sense, his life is lived in the imitation and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's daily worked out in his own body. And therefore that suffering is an engagement with, with the suffering of Jesus Christ. I think what where the Bible takes us to above all is that suffering is part of the journey of the discovery of God. And you see that in Lamentations chapter 3, where this tremendously painful chapter, um, it's written in the context of the the Jews uh, having lost their homeland, but is often identified with Jesus. And it engages with what is called sometimes strong monotheism, is the idea you get fairly often in the Jewish Hebrew scriptures, that um, there is no attempt to to blame any of suffering on human nature or on the devil. It's only God. We're, We're only in God's world, and therefore everything that happens in God's world comes from God, and you've got to take the good with the bad. Um, so it says, I am the one who's seen affliction under the Lord's wrath. He has driven me and he has brought me into any light. He has made my flesh waste away and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. We don't often say that in churches, do we, when we're in hospital? Say, God has given me a heart attack. Yeah. God has God has broken my bones. God has, has, has ended the life of the person I love the most in the world. But but the 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 writer in possibly Jeremiah says, God is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He led me off my way and tore me to pieces. Imagine saying that about God. God tore me Mm. to pieces this week like a bear. You know, he shot into my vitals. Uh, The words for vitals are often quite, I think it does include the prostate. So I often think of, (laughs) um, of stuff that goes on there. The arrows of his quiver. And I say, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And and the no, I won't say the psalmist. These words could come from the psalms. It's lamentations. They they attribute all of this to God, and then there is this switch. Through verse nineteen to twenty-one, the thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down. So it's a knee-bending word. Uh, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so often we leap to that verse. I don't know how many times I've seen Revelation to three, sorry, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 on people's walls. And I always want to go, where's verses 1 to 21? Because they mm-hmm. need to go in the wall as well. And every time we yeah. sing, great is thy faithfulness, which these uh, verses lead to, I want to say, well, what about verses 1 to 21? 
And there seems to be a movement in there almost there is a theological move that happens. I didn't say so much as the person's understanding of God changes. Because how can you say his mercies never end if ten verses ago yes. you've been saying he's been shooting arrows into me? You yeah. must have changed your understanding of mm. God yeah. over those ten verses. And what I think this chapter documents is that that suffering is the process in which we discover God still holding us on the wildness and the sea, in the pain of our bodies, mm-hmm. in the loss of that which which mattered deeply to us in Psalm fifty five. Um, the um, it's the loss of a friend, and you don't get to land straight on verse twenty two. Uh huh. You, yeah. you you go through verses one to twenty one, just as. Mm-hmm. The end of Psalm 55, that famous verse that gets um, quoted in Galatians, um, where it says, bear one another's burdens. You know, and we often go to that verse, it's, it's quoted in Galatians 6 as well. And and we talk about solidarity. You don't get to go there unless we've also told the story of the verses that get to that. And and in a sense, yes. suffering is not just the discovery of God in the wildness of the world, but is also the discovery of each other. Yeah. So there's my why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jen, have you got a gem? Yes, I mean, I think throughout the podcast, I've, I've talked a wee bit about the need for story. So what I, I want to emphasise in the gem is the real problem we sometimes have as adults, which I referred to earlier, of understanding how children sometimes perceive the troubles that they are going through yes and i think one way of doing that um is is reading what they are reading or or reading good books <laughs> that other people have written for children that help give us a glimpse into children's lives now if you have children in your home then you'll be reading books with them perhaps that'll do that but like me if your children are grown up and uh, you don't have the joy of reading to children regularly I need I need to choose to read some children's authors. So last week I read um hang on two seconds while I give you this correctly. It's called Goldfish Boy by Lisa Thompson. And again, this arose from a conversation I had with a eleven year old, want to get his age right, um, younger friend of mine, Jamie. And I just asked him what he was reading just now. And he said he was reading a, a lot of Lisa Thompson. So I thought I'll get a Lisa Thompson book and I'll read it. And it was a goldfish boy that I chose. And very interestingly, this was a story about a boy, 11, 12 years old, whose little brother had died. He was a stillbirth. And it was a fantastic insight into that view of the big brother. going, mm. And the whole family was going through, had gone through terrible trauma. And the parents had one perception, but he had a very different perception of what had happened. And it's the story of how his family and him and his community, interestingly, mm. um, help him to come through the troubles he's facing. He he is struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder because of what he's been through. Really brilliant to read. And C.S. Lewis, which I haven't mentioned uh, this time, <laughs> he once said, if a book's worth reading when you're 10, it's worth reading again when you're 50. Oh, and if it was that. yeah, and if it wasn't if you don't think you should read it when you're 50, it probably wasn't worth reading when you were 10. Yeah. So have a look at Lisa Thompson, particularly the Goldfish Boy. Yeah. Um and, and that's just one way of trying to understand 
how children are seeing things because unless we do that we can not help them in the best way perhaps yes. of what they're going through yes so, so that's why we a wee gem read yeah. out and it's not a christian book you know it's not i don't know what i don't know anything about lisa thompson i don't know what her background is um but look out for books like that that can help us delve into the world of the child i suppose yes. that's that's I the think gem. That, I like that because it sits alongside what you've already talked about in terms of listening to children as well. Yes, absolutely. Actually finding out what their what their experience is and listening to them. Brilliant. Well, we're going to end it there. Uh, next time we're talking about the how. Um, and if people want to be reading ahead with that, we're looking at uh, Psalm 6 and Psalm 109, Matthew 26 and Proverbs 25 and 11, 13. Um, and then... Our final episode, as I say, we'll move on to talk about lament. And what, what you were touching on there at the end, Neil, I think uh, really speaks into that, the place of the complaint and the uh, journey we go on in lament. So that's the next three episodes. So I'm going to ask shortly for takeaways, but Neil, you were going to plug something. Yeah, I want to plug <laughs> a book about lamentation, which is by a Scottish author who I'm guessing you'll have heard of, but I had never heard of him until this book. His name's David Smith. He lectures at the the International Christian College. And he has written the most fabulous book about lamentation called Stumbling Towards Zion. And if people Mm. wanted to read that before the next podcast, that would be (laughs) terrific. I'm just reading it going, how come I've never heard of you before? Because this is genius. And it's so well written. Um, so it's called Stumbling Towards Zion, Recovering the Biblical Tradition of Lament in the Era of World Christianity. It's just a rich, rich, thoughtful book. Yeah, we'll put a, little, a link to that into the show notes. Yeah. And I think, like, like actually, I've been reading a, a commentary on Job that, similarly, where the person themselves, you know they have walked mm. through mm. suffering. I think that brings an authenticity to all of that, too. So thank you very much. I'm interested to know what your takeaways are. Neil, what's your takeaway? Um, I think it was Jen's story about the eight-year-olds. And I'm, I'm really challenged that whilst as a church, we have engaged lots with um, adults, we've been not so great with children. So that's a challenge. And we have been talking okay. about it. And that also means my own children. Jen, what about you? What's your takeaway? As Neil said earlier on, I also came to this podcast with a heavy heart. Maybe there's no other way to come mm-hmm. to talk about the why of suffering, to be mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, what is there to say? And and the reality is that so often when we suffer, when other people suffer, we don't have the words to say. So it's been a great reminder that there may be no words of explanation, but that the being together and going on that, that journey, as Neil described, that discovery of knowing each other and knowing God better. It, it has been my experience, but I needed reminded of that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for this morning's conversation. Sure. Sure. That's great. And uh, my, my takeaway, I'm going to go and investigate the welcoming prayer because mm. I think I mm. think that's something that could be very helpful to me. Um, so that's going to be my homework for next time. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, look forward to speaking to you next time when, as I say, we'll be talking about the how of suffering. How do we cope with it? <laughs>